0: Hello, City Light Church. I want to lead you during this time in a time of confession. We know that right now we are actually still in the season of Lent. And Lent is a season that it's an appropriate season for right now because Lent is a season when we get in touch with all the brokenness and the broken things of a world. Lent is a season instead of denying that we live in a fallen world. Instead of running from the darkness, Lent is a season of actually embracing the darkness. Lent is a season of getting in touch with all of that and admitting that we are actually a part of the dark things in the world. Lent ultimately is a season of confession, of laying down those things that are keeping us from the presence of God and keeping us from living as lights. In this dark world. And during the Lent, we use this as a season of confession. So during this time in our service, we are going to use this time to confess our own sins. We're going to pray this corporate prayer of confession. And hopefully you have the bulletin at home. And then we're going to spend just some some time in God's presence. Especially if you haven't this week, in midst of all the, the panic and the news. Spend some time in the presence of God. So let's pray this prayer of confession, church. Almighty God, to know you is the fulfillment of our deepest longings and the satisfaction of our most ardent desires. Yet foolishly, we have sought our pleasures elsewhere. We have put the seeking of idols, which are bound to leave us feeling empty, above seeking you. We have failed to love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for our sins for the sake of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and grant that from now on, we might serve you in the newness of life. Amen. Amen. Why don't we spend some time then in silent prayer and in confession? And hear now the word of God's grace that comes to you from Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Amen. In Christ Jesus, would you receive this forgiveness, this unconditional forgiveness. For those of us in Christ Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We've been set free. Amen. Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 26. We've been going through a series of sermons on discipleship. Today we're reading Matthew 26 verses 30 to 35 and verses 69 to 75. If you have your Bibles at home, would you please turn with it? Turn with me to it. Starting from verse 30, this is the reading of God's word. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now looking at verses 69 to the end of the chapter. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also are with Jesus to Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying, Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks from wherever, Lord, we are, in our homes, in our living rooms, with our family, by ourselves. Different parts of the city, even different parts of this country, and we we want to give you thanks that we can join through this medium and pray, God, even through our screens, this time that you would speak to us a word that we so desperately need. We know that you are God who hears. We know that your word is living and powerful. So come and speak to us now. Speak to us where we are. Speak us. Speak to us a powerful, good word that comes from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just joined us here on this broadcast, we've been uh, looking at a series of sermons. All the way back when we were meeting in person, we started a series on discipleship. And I know that seems a while ago. And we've been continuing it. Uh, through these online services we've been looking at this idea of discipleship and in many ways we need the sermon series more than ever because right now is a time where we need faithful disciples right now. Uh, Jesus call his call for his people during this time is to be people of faith in midst of anxiety and panic. Jesus calls his people to live generously in midst of hoarding Jesus calls his disciples to live sacrificially. This time of uncertainty in many ways is a good test to see who you really are. Do you really believe God is in control? Imagine if you were single and you met someone who said that they loved you. They were your ride or die. They're going to be with you to the end. And that's amazing that you've met someone who could tell you those things. But how do you know if it's true? You know, the only way to know if someone really is going to be there for you is if you go through difficult things with them. Is if you go through a, a, a jobless period and they were there for you. If you went through a cancer scare, they were by your side. If you went through difficult times of depressions and they were lifting you up, only then, through difficult times, could you know uh, that they are true. Difficult times show us who is real and who is is false. In the same way, difficult times, they show us if we have genuine faith or false faith. Is our pledge that we will follow Jesus, is it, is it real? Is it true? Or is it just words? Today we're going to look at two disciples, Judas and Peter. And they represent two different kinds of faith. One is false, Judas's faith. Faith is false. He falls back during this time of darkness. But there's another man, Peter. Peter does fall. He stumbles. But we're going to see that he falls forward. We're going to see that eventually he falls toward Jesus. Ultimately, we want to look at the idea that none of our faith is perfect, but faith is ultimately collapsing on the faithful one. The goodness of God is what we bank on. So today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at false faith and the dangers of that. We're going to look at stumbling faith, a faith that stumbles toward God. And we're going to look at this idea of saving faith. Which is what it's all about. And we want to start off by looking at this idea of false faith. We've been looking at this journey with Jesus and his disciples. He has 12 disciples. And for three years, he has been investing in them, spending time with them, loving on them, teaching them, doing ministry with them. But here in Matthew 26, Jesus has one final night with them. And everything and everyone is going to be put to the test. On this one night, last week we looked at Jesus. He's going to be in the, the the trial of his life. He is going to face intense supernatural temptation and trial. And we looked at last week Jesus passed the test. He submits his life to the plan of the Father. And now, so the second, the final test is for the disciples. Would they pass the test? They're going to be tested like never before. They're going to face supernatural and physical challenges. How would they respond to the test? Are they up for it like Jesus was? Today we're going to look at two different case studies, Judas and Peter. And we're going to start with Judas. Judas was one of the twelve disciples uh, he was with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. Uh, Thomas Watson, the great Puritan pastor, said, Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons. He was sent out, like all the other 11 dis- disciples, to do ministry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He He cast out demons, like all the other apostles. He experienced the presence and the power of Jesus. But ultimately... He turned out to be a fraud. He didn't have real faith. And Judas is a warning to all of us, especially those of you who grew up in the church. You might know all of the teachings of the Bible, familiar with all the Bible stories. You could have served in the church. You've done ministry to the poor. You could have known all kinds of truth and done all kinds of wonderful things. But at the end of the day, you could also be like Judas, and turn out to be a fraud. You know, before Judas betrays Jesus, he tells his disciples at the Last Supper that one of them was going to betray them. He didn't tell, he didn't name it. Uh, one of them. It's interesting to see that how they responded. We looked at this a little bit last week. Matthew 26, 22. Jesus, and this is what the disciples say. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it, is it I, Lord? Disciples realized that any one of them had the potential to betray Jesus. They knew that betraying Jesus was not beyond any of them. The truth is that we're all capable of betraying Jesus. We also have to look inside of ourselves and go to God and say, Could that be me? And I want this point, I want all of you to have that posture to say, God, is this me? Could I possibly betray you, Jesus? So how do you know if your faith is real or fake? Well, Judas gives us two warning signs. Two warning signs of false faith. One of them is that Judas, his faith was public, but not private. It was public, but not private. After Jesus leads his disciple into Gethsemane to pray... That prayer means interrupted by Judas. Judas comes to the garden with soldiers to have Jesus arrested. Now It was a dark night, literally dark. Uh, They probably had lanterns. It was hard to see. So Judas had to point Jesus out to the soldiers. uh, That one of them, 12, this was Jesus. It's interesting to see how he does it. In Matthew 26, 49... It says, And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Judas could have simply pointed the soldiers to Jesus and said, Well, that's Jesus right here. Arrest him. He doesn't do that. Instead, Judas puts on this charade. He kisses Jesus, embraces him, greets him warmly, calls him Rabbi. Why did he do that? Well, Judas is actually doing what he's always done. You know, Judas was always outwardly a follower of Jesus, even to the very end. He was always had great words to say about Jesus, was always in the right place. Even to the very end, his lips, they are praising Jesus publicly. But privately, his life was very different. Publicly, he he said, Jesus, I love you, but privately he made arrangements to portray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This was Judas's life. Are you someone who outwardly, you, you go to church, you say you're a Christian, but privately your life is very different. You have different priorities. One thing about Judas that we know in the Gospel of Matthew is that Judas is never mentioned throughout the Gospels, except in the very beginning, we hear about Judas. He's named as one of the twelve, and at the very end, when he betrays Jesus, we never see Judas interacting with Jesus alone. He only interacts with Jesus in a group, in a crowd. Judas only met with Jesus in a group, but never alone. Contrast that with Peter, James, and John. Those are the closest disciples. Peter, James, and John always spent time with Jesus alone. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes them to pray with them individually. They are there up uh, seeing Jesus being transfigured. They saw his glory. They spent time with Jesus alone. Judas never did. One of the best tests of spirituality, there therefore, is do you spend time with Jesus alone? Uh, the best test of spirituality is private prayer. How frequently do you spend time alone in God's presence? You know, this season in your life, you probably have a lot of alone time. And my question for you is are you using that alone time more and more to be in the presence of God? Is that a priority in your life? That's a great metric. To see how genuine your faith is. Secondly, Judas saw Jesus as a teacher, but not as a king. Notice how Judas uh, refers to Jesus. It says when he comes to Jesus, he calls him rabbi. Rabbi simply meant teacher. But if you study the Gospel of Matthew, the most common term that the disciples used for Jesus was not rabbi, it was Lord. And that's a window into how Judas saw Jesus. For Judas, Jesus was a teacher, not a king. He was a rabbi, not his Lord. And a sign of false discipleship and false faith is that we a teacher is someone you can agree or disagree with, you can give or you can take, but if you have a king, you have to do what he says. Judas was unwilling to take up his cross and follow Jesus. He was unwilling to give Jesus his life. One there is is that Judas thought Jesus was going to be a king, a political king, the king of the Jews, literally, not just spiritually. And when he realized that he was not going to be that, he turned on him. He was unwilling to take up his cross and follow a crucified Savior. The true sign of a disciple is that you're willing to suffer with Jesus. You're willing to do whatever Jesus says and go wherever he leads. A king isn't a king unless he can contradict you, unless he can overrule you. If you have a God that only does the things you want to do, you probably made up that God. It's probably not a true God. The story of Judas, it ends in tragedy. In chapter 27, it says Judas regrets selling Jesus out. He actually wants to return the money, but the leaders, the religious leaders, will not take it. Judas ends up committing suicide. He hangs himself. He takes his own life. You know, when you take your own life, and when, when you turn away from God, rather... It might seem like a great thing because you can live your own life. You can have your best life. No one is there to tell you what to do. But what Judas realizes is that when he turns from Jesus, he realizes he doesn't have much to live for. You know, C.S. Lewis, he describes hell this way. He says, hell is God giving you what you want. Uh, when you sin, you're saying, God, leave me alone. I'm going my own way, doing my own thing. And hell is God saying, go and do your own thing. Go your own way. Through this pandemic, we're discovering how self-isolation is one of the most, uh, one of the worst possible things. It's lonely. You're alone with all your issues and problems. Someone once said that life is one long, bad date with yourself. And I want to tell you that's what actually hell is. Hell is one long, bad date with yourself. There's nobody else. It's just you. There's no one to bother you or tell you what to do, but there's also no beauty. There's no forgiveness. There's no glory. There's no story. It's just you forever. Forever. It's just the echo of your voice for all eternity. That's what hell is. I was counseling a man who was uh, battling addiction. And he was addicted to prescription drugs. They often crushed and mixed. And he turned the corner. And I asked him, you know, what changed? You know, what helped you? What truth helped you? And he was a believer and he said this. He said, A day battling my addictions with God is way better than a hundred highs without God. He said, you know, following God is hard is very difficult, and I struggle every day to stay clean. But even in that struggle is much better being with God in the midst of the struggle than being high without God. Judas chooses that path without God, that lonely road. He's remorseful, he's regretful. And there's another path, another way. There's another one who stumbles, but he doesn't stumble back, he actually stumbles forward. And he's actually a story of hope. And this, this picture is Peter. And he's, he's number two, a stumbling faith. Judas's failure was final. But uh, there was another failure that happens, but it was a temporary failure. Judas re- represents someone who is totally committed to walking away from God. But Peter's failure is not final. Uh, Peter is eventually restored and renewed. Just like Jesus predicted Judas's p- betrayal, he also predicts Peter's denial. Uh, in verse 34, if you turn with me there, it says that Jesus tells Peter that he is actually going to deny him three on three separate occasions before the rooster crows. Peter, he's not having that. When Jesus first tells him that, he says, "Jesus, I would never sell you out. I would never deny you. I'm going to die with you, Jesus." You know, Peter has heart. He's in his. He has a sincere desire to stay with Jesus. We see this when Jesus leads up. Judas leads the band of soldiers. On that dark night to get Jesus. Peter has. He actually has a sword. And when they try to arrest Jesus. He takes his sword. And he cuts off the ear of a soldier. Trying to arrest Jesus. It's likely the Roman soldier had on. A helmet. With an ear hole. And it's likely that Peter tries to go for the jugular. And hit Him on the head, strike him on the head with the sword, but the sword slides off the helmet, slices off his ear. Peter wasn't messing around. He was ready to go. Peter's like that hot-tempered friend that you have that is ready to throw down for you if someone gets in your way. Someone someone is messing with you. But Jesus won't let it go down that way. It says that Jesus... uh, Jesus says he can call down 12 legions of soldiers. That's actually 60,000 troops. He says, I can call down 60,000 troops right now if I want it. But that's not my agenda. It's not that Jesus cannot stop the arrest. He will not stop the arrest. When the disciples hear that, they realize it's over. They knew Jesus had the power to resist arrest, to become, uh, to be set free, and that when they realize he won't do that, they they abandon him. It says in verse fifty six, then all the disciples left him and fled. But even after the disciples, they all leave Jesus. Peter, he still is holding on. It says in verse fifty eight, he follows Jesus from a distance. He wants to see what happens. Maybe he's trying to muster up the courage to stand with Jesus. And in verse 58, he gets as close as he possibly can to the trial that is happening with Jesus and the council. He gets as close as possible. But even as Peter is attempting to follow Jesus, we see eventually his demise. We see that physically throughout, if you read the denials Physically, he gets more and more distant from Jesus. He goes from the courtyard, where the trial is happening, to outside the courtyard, to finally the exit. And we see that Judas, Jesus is, Peter is sliding away from Jesus, both physically and spiritually. And we see that increasingly, he begins to deny Jesus in more and more uh, serious ways. It says in verse 69, that first one Peter is accused of being a Jesus follower. In verse 69, a servant girl accuses Peter of following Jesus, and he says, I do not, I don't know what you mean. It's not a denial. He just pleaded ignorance, like, I don't know what the question is. It says, Secondly, the servant girl brings a witness, puts him on the spot, says he's a follower of Jesus. And here he issues his first absolute denial. He says to this, to this, to these two women, I do not know the man. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Finally, as he exits, he's trying to get away. A crowd emerges around Peter and they all accuse him. This is more serious. All of these witnesses. And what does Jesus, what does Peter say? It says that, he not only does he deny Jesus; it says that he curses. Though that in the Greek it it can either mean he curses himself or he curses Jesus. And most scholars think that he explicitly curses Jesus, he curses the name of his Savior. He goes from pleading ignorance to actively, specifically hating on Jesus. And as soon as Peter curses. The rooster crows. And Peter realizes the prediction has come true. It says that Peter weeps bitterly. But even as Peter fails, I want you to notice the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas, his betrayal of Jesus was deliberate and it was premeditated. But Peter's failure, uh, Peter wants to follow Jesus but fails. The best way to describe Peter is the way Jesus refers to him and talks to him in the failure when he falls asleep on Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, "The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." Peter wants to follow Jesus, but his faith fails him. His heart is there, his desire is there. He wants to, but he's overcome by the moment. He fails that specific time it's like jesus peter with jesus on the on the water peter wants to walk on water and come to jesus but he's overcome by fear maybe you're in the same place as peter you know you want to believe god you want to be strong you might find your faith failing. but here's the encouragement i want to give you all this morning Peter's desire to follow Jesus, his constant failures, and Jesus' patience with him, is actually a powerful picture of discipleship. Think about this. What if in all of the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples never failed? Peter never failed. He never wavered. Uh, he was never intimidated by the circumstances or by people. He always stood up for Jesus, suffered with Jesus, was there for Jesus until the very end. And when Jesus, Jesus resurrected, he was filled with joy and he went out. What if that was the picture of discipleship in the Gospel of Matthew? How intimidating would that be if that was the picture of discipleship? But think about this encouragement. The disciples all throughout Matthew They constantly failed, they feared, they fell asleep on Jesus. They denied Jesus, but guess what? Jesus forgave them. Jesus built his church on them. He sends all of those failed disciples out to be his witnesses. Failure is never final with God. Matthew says, do you want to see a picture of what discipleship looks like? Think about this whole sermon series. Matthew says, discipleship is God taking a group of ragtag, unworthy, unqualified people. Uh, It is people who are fearful and scared out of their mind when a storm arises. They are prideful and argumentative about power and influence. They're constantly forgetting who Jesus is and what His mission is about. And in their greatest moment, they completely abandon Him. You might be in the midst of this time of pandemic and you might find yourself just like the disciples. Man, you're afraid. Man, you are panicked. You don't feel like you're filled with faith. You're hopeless. You don't know where God is. And I want to say to you this morning, wherever you are, especially if you experienced that, if you feel like your faith is feeling you, I want to tell you as your minister, it's okay. Disciples were the same way. God can still use you and be faithful to you. You know, this, uh, all throughout this crisis, you might have heard all kinds of pastors tell you, trust God. God is in control. He's faithful. Trust Him. He has a plan. And that that is good news. And we need to believe that. But it's not the best news because it might be hard for you to believe that. But here's the better news I want to give to you this morning. Even if you doubt God is in control, even if through this experience you found your faith faltering and small and shallow, even so... I want to tell you, God is still faithful. God still loves you. God's still going to work everything out for your good. Even if your faith is shallow. Even if you're fearful and afraid. God still has you. God is still faithful to you. God still loves you. Uh, God takes all of these failed disciples and He forgives them. He brings them back. After his resurrection, he reunites with them, forgives them, loves on them, and sends them out. God loves... uh, Peter ultimately comes back to Jesus and builds his church on his back. I want to tell you that God loves people who have failed him. He loved all the disciples who failed him. He loves us who constantly fail him. In fact, failed... Christians who fail are often the most eager to experience God's grace. Uh, they're more in touch with their own need for God. They're more humble. They're more reliant on Him. Hear this word from Vance Havner. He says, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to give rain, Broken grain to give bread. Broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever before. Tappner says that God He loves to use broken things. He loves to use broken things. He loves to use broken people. He will use Peter, though he has failed him. Because in our weakness, we realize he is strong. We learn to lean on him. But the key is come back to Jesus after your failure. Uh, Judas doesn't come back. Peter does. Even if you stumble, stumble toward Jesus. Stumble toward the cross. You're going to fall throughout your life. You're going to fail. But when you fail and when you fall, fall forward toward the arms of Jesus. He's going to hold you up. Ultimately, Peter's story leads us to this final idea. and This is where we're always headed. This idea of saving faith. Throughout the series, we said that it's not, having, it's not about having perfect faith. None of us are going to have that. In fact, it's not about the amount of faith that you have, but it's about who you have your faith in. It's about the object of your faith. Ultimately, it's about Jesus looking toward Him. So let's look at Jesus throughout this final night. Think about the patience of Jesus. All of the disciples have failed Jesus. Think about how patient Jesus is through, the, through their sleeping in his hour of greatest need, through all of the failures and denials. And Jesus, he sticks with them, he stays. And he, he will eventually forgive them. Think now about the love of God in Jesus. It's important that, to see that Jesus predicted both Judas' betrayal, but also specifically Peter's denial three times. And he, and he says that before it happens. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus goes to the cross fully knowing all about the disciples' failures. He goes to the cross... And he knows that the people he he is dying for will deny him and fail him. And when he dies on the tree, he specifically dies for those sins. You know, Jesus knows all about your sins. Past, present, and future. He knows all about them. Nothing you ever do, have done, or will do will ever surprise Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross... He didn't die for generic sins. Blank check sins. Jesus on the cross he died for your past, present and future sins. He knew all about them. Everything you've done in the past everything you'll do in the future all of your failures, he knew about it. And he specifically died for those sins on the cross. That is the love of God. He knows all the bad things all of our failures. And he knows it in advance, and he specifically dies for it on the tree. That is the love of God. The love of God that knows all about us and yet loves us and forgives us. But here's the final thing that gives us hope. While Jesus is on trial, he tells us exactly, finally, ultimately who he is. He gives testimony about who he is. In Matthew 26, 64, He finally unveils the truth, and he tells them exactly who he is and what he's come to do. It says this in Matthew twenty six sixty four. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus finally discloses he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just come, actually, to to die on the cross. It's the central element of what he's done. But he says, ultimately, what will happen is I'll be raised up. And the Son of Man is a title used in Daniel for the great king, the king of kings, the great judge. And one day, I'm going to come back to earth on the clouds in glory. Jesus says that I am the king. One day, I will come back on the clouds in power. Jesus' cross will not be the end of the story. The next time we will see Jesus is in power and glory. In his memoir, Between the World and Me, the author Ta-Nehisi Cotes, talks about, looking at. he looks at all these pictures from the civil rights movements of African Americans who have been thrown to the docks, who are being beaten with clubs, who are being hosed down, who are Facing all kinds of malicious threats. And he says the common thread he sees in all these pictures is he says, I always look at their eyes. And he says every time he sees so many of these pictures, their eyes are looking up. And he says, I'm not a person of faith, but I realize what gave them strength in midst of all kinds of torment and persecution is that their eyes were looking to God. They were looking to him one of the reasons that we a lot of people are so saddened now is that they feel like they have no hope they look at the future and it seems so so doom and gloom so pessimistic about where everything is headed and this is where jesus followers can be different we do see the trouble all around us we're not ignorant of it we do see the trouble. But our ultimate hope is that we have our eyes fixed on the Son of Man at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds in heaven. And this morning, church, take heart. Your past is forgiven. Everything in your past, even your present, your future, all those sins, they have been died for. Jesus died for them. They have been removed. And your future is glory. Keep your eyes on the Son of Man, coming on the clouds in glory. You have an infinite hope in Christ your King who will make all things new. So let your life of forgiveness and hope, let your life tell a story. You know, Jesus does all that. He sends out all of his disciples in the world. He says, man, this is a dark world without a lot of hope. Now go out and shine. Church, this morning, as you take these truths, as you breathe them in, as you connect with God, would you fix your eyes on the Son of Man company, would you be people of hope, would you be people of peace, and in this world that desperately needs it, especially at a time like now, would you shine your light, the hope of Christ, the Son of Man, please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks. I pray for everyone here, everyone who's joined us, everyone who will see this later. I pray, God, over all of us. Oh, Lord, we need you so much. We need you, but we give you thanks. I pray for everyone here whose faith has failed them At times. They might feel discouraged. They might feel hopeless. They might feel like their faith is so small. They might feel so remorseful about all the ways that they failed you. And I thank you, God, that you give us a picture of ourselves here. And I thank you that your love will not let us go. I thank you that you're patient, that you're so patient with us. I pray, God, that, Lord, we would fall forward toward you, that you would pick us up, that wherever we are, you would restore us. And God, I pray that you'd give us a picture of your glory and beauty that awaits us. And I pray that that hope of the Son of Man would give us strength and power. I pray, God, we would also shine as your lights in this very dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During this time, church, I want to give you a benediction for wherever you are. I want to give you this blessing. So would you receive this benediction, this blessing? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your lives would abound in hope. Amen. Would you now go in peace to love and serve the Lord? Amen. God bless you.